So there's been a lot of talk about narcissistic personality disorder lately on the internet. Lots of people diagnosing other people like Donald Trump, Kanye West. In the past, I remember there's a lot of people diagnosing Obama, Barack Obama, with narcissistic personality disorder. There's a lot of confusion, I think, and as a specialist in narcissism, it's a little frustrating to me as I watch people throwing around the terms willy-nilly, and so I thought I'd make a real short video, as short as possible anyway, trying to explain what narcissistic personality really is. It's a very complicated topic. Uh, research has actually looked into how difficult it is for people to understand narcissism. And what they find is that most people who are not clinicians, most lay people, have a really hard time conceptualizing any personality disorder, let alone narcissistic personality disorder. And they even find that among mental health clinicians, they also have a hard time with, with all personality disorders, including narcissistic. In fact, particularly narcissistic, they have a hard time with. So there's something about it that just makes it really difficult to grasp upon just a, a little bit of education. Even people with master's degrees, doctorate degrees, they still don't really get it. So it requires a fair amount of extra education, experience, supervision, that kind of thing. So... From the onset, I just want to say there's a big difference between calling someone narcissistic, just the adjective, uh, and there's a difference between that and, and diagnosing someone with narcissistic personality or narcissistic personality disorder. Uh, you know, anyone can call someone narcissistic. You can call Trump or Obama or Kanye or Kim Kardashian narcissistic. That's fine. It's the same as calling them mean or nice or great, or it's just a descriptor that you can use. It's not, it's not clinical. But when we use the terms narcissistic personality, which is a clinical term, or even narcissistic personality disorder, then we're talking about something that's really quite specific. And unless you really know what you're talking about, there's a good chance you might be using it wrong. So what is narcissistic personality exactly anyway? Well, it's been defined over uh, many, many decades, going back over 100 years. It's been discussed by many different authors, most notably in the DSM. I don't want to over-focus on the DSM because the DSM is, is our diagnostic manual, and a lot of people turn to that as like our end-all, be-all book that we turn to for personality, but it really isn't. Uh, there are many other authors, many other ideas – many other conceptualizations. The DSM is just one of them. But, you know, the DSM isn't a bad representation, but it's it shouldn't be the only representation of what narcissistic personality is. Um, I could go on and on about that, but for the sake of this video, let's try to keep it short. Okay, so what is the foundation of narcissistic personality? I feel like in order for people to understand, for me, when I understood the foundation of narcissistic personality, that's when I really understood the personality disorder. It was the same with borderline or histrionic or avoidant or anything, or even attachment styles. I, I remember learning about these things and, and not really quite getting it. But once I understood the genesis or the foundation of these things, then I felt like I really understood it. So what's the foundation of narcissistic personality? Well, as you might be able to know this, is that it comes from mistreatment in childhood. Um, some people say that it can emerge out of uh, you know biology, like you're just born with narcissistic personality, so to speak. But in my experience, in my clinical experience, everyone that I've treated with narcissistic personality has experienced significant mistreatment in their childhood. And the greater the mistreatment, the greater the narcissistic personality. 
So this sort of mistreatment can be overt, things that are quite obvious, like being sexually abused, physically abused, abandoned, this kind of thing. But there are other forms of mistreatment that are harder to detect, even to the individual who went through it. Subtle things like your parents were depressed or they were alcoholics or your parents were raised by alcoholics. These things can lead to certain parenting or family environments that might on the outside or on the surface might seem really great, but underneath there's there's something there's an underlying neglect that is happening to the child that results in the child having to develop narcissism. So I could go into detail on that, but again, just to move on. So this mistreatment results in two things. One is is that uh, people, regardless of whether or not they're narcissistic or or some other uh, you know coping strategy, they they develop two things. One is is that they develop insecure attachment. In a nutshell, this basically means that the, the individual doesn't really believe that other people will love them and be there for them. And so they're insecure about their attachments with other people. And so, you know, keep that in mind. The second thing is mistreatment often results in people not developing a sense of self. This has to be sort of on the higher end of mistreatment, but when we have that, oftentimes someone will not develop a sense of self. What is a sense of self? Well, the sense of self is really quite complicated, but in a nutshell, it's when you are a parent and – or let me say when you're a kid and you're three years old and you just have an emotional feeling. You're just like upset and you're angry and and you just start crying or you start screaming or you you throw a tantrum or something – in those moments, the three-year-old might actually not know why they are throwing a tantrum. They're just upset, and they don't know why. It takes a parent who is attentive and loving and uh, has the capacity to actually turn to the child and, and diagnose the child. What is wrong with this child? Oh, they're tired. They're cold. They're hot. They're hungry. Uh, someone on the playground didn't treat them well. Um, you know, they want the toy and it's up on a shelf and they can't access it or they're sick or something. You know, the parent is there to to know what is wrong with the child. And, and what the parent does is they go to the child and they, they tend to the child, but they also explain to the child what's happening. They're like, oh, you're upset because you have to go to bed and you don't, you don't want to miss out on watching TV with your older siblings. Or, oh, you're upset because you're you got rejected on the playground. Yes, I understand. That makes you sad. And you, you repeat that over and over and over again with a child, and the child starts to connect their emotional state, their wishes, their thoughts, their urges with some kind of wording, some verbalization of what's happening. Oh, I see. I'm upset because of this, or I'm feeling this emotion. It's a very complicated topic, but I'm hoping I'm explaining it right. So through that process, you develop a sense of self. You know who you are. You know what your emotions are. You know how you feel. You know what your needs are within reason, you know, enough self-awareness that you can move into later stages of life, later childhood, adulthood, and you know what you want and you can actually enact those needs. You know, it's like, ooh, I'm hungry. I'll go get food. Ooh, I want love from my spouse. I will ask for love from my spouse. Ooh, I want friendship or I need entertainment or I need to be creative today. There are people who lack a sense of self who actually don't know those. They don't, they have urges and needs on the inside, but they don't know what they are because they were never explained to them early in life. They can develop a sense of self later on, but they learned early in life they needed to cut themselves off from their self in order to cope. Anyway, it's a complicated thing. 
So there are two things resulting from mistreatment. Like I said, one is this insecure attachment, the notion that no one's going to really be there for you. It's a very sad thing, but you know, it's what kids will learn early in life if they're being mistreated. The second thing is, is that they just don't know who they are. They don't know what they want and they don't know how they feel. And these are very important things to develop early in life. So the, the older child, the six, seven, eight, nine year old, they're, they're experiencing tantrums, they're experiencing attachment insecurity, they're experiencing uh, you know, confusion and relationship problems, and they need some way to cope with that. And there are many different ways to cope with it. There are borderline ways, there are histrionic ways, there's avoidant ways, there's preoccupied ways, there's depressive ways, anxious ways, hypervigilant ways, um, eating disorder ways. There's a lot of ways to cope with this, and one of them also is narcissism. Narcissism is a coping strategy dealing with this uh, inability to know who you are and what you want and also this, uh, this very uh, painful experience of not feeling like anyone loves you. And so what narcissism is is that the, the child learns if I prop up this false self, this wonderful, perfect, awesome self – it, it helps me in a number of ways. One is is that it tricks other people to love me because if I'm perfect and I'm wonderful and I'm special, then I, I tend to get more love from other people. And, and that's what I'm really looking for because I'm really looking for love and attachment and security. And so if I prop up this perfect, you know, wonderful, superior self, I tend to get more love. The other thing is is that when they prop up this false self, they actually believe what they're propping up partially. And this actually gives them some self-esteem of which they have almost none of. So they're like, ooh, when I convince myself that I'm perfect and superior to everybody, then I have some, at least some self-esteem in the world. And when I don't do that, then I have no self-esteem. The other thing is, is that by propping up this self, it distracts them from the fact that they don't even know who they are and what they want. This propped up false self actually gives them some direction in life of which without that, they wouldn't have at all. Okay, so at the end here, let's look at the DSM criteria. And normally when people read these criteria, I think they misunderstand it. But when we understand what I've explained so far, the foundation of narcissism, then I think it brings it into uh, you know, its full colors. And these are my paraphrasing of the DSM, so just keep that in mind. So number one in the DSM, they, uh, people with narcissism are identified in the DSM as exaggerating about their achievements. I'm awesome. You know, they have very flowery resumes. They might even lie. You know, I won this award or I've been around the world when they haven't. Or, you know, I once had sex with, you know, George Clooney or something, you know, some kind of exaggeration. Um, or maybe not just lies, but, you know, overemphasizing of their achievements. But anyway, so they're not doing this because they just love to do that. They're doing it because they're in a constant state of feeling worthless and unlovable. So when they prop this up, they're like, well, maybe if I look at this false self, I'll believe that I'm awesome because if I don't look at this, I have to like just look at myself and I do not feel awesome. In fact, I feel like I'm nothing and I feel like no one will ever love me. They're also doing this because it actually will, they learn how to prop up a false self that people are attracted to. At least that's what they're hoping for. Number two, uh, the DSM says that people with narcissism have fantasies of achieving greatness. 
you know, they frequently ruminate about like, ooh, when I'm president of the United States or when I'm the best player in the NBA or when I am the most popular psychology podcast of all time, for example, um, you know, this constant rumination, this is to uphold the person with narcissism. It's to it's uphold their shaky self-esteem. It, it's focusing on some future, you know, possibility to give them some sense of uh, worth and also some, and it also distracts them. Number three is people with narcissism, they outwardly believe that they are better than other people. They'll, you know, they'll say to other people, you know, oh, I'm better than him or I'm better than she is, or, or they'll, they'll do things that are subtle. They might posts, they might make Instagram posts that make them look better than other people. It, it can be quite subtle too. Narcissism can be quite subtle. So these can be things that are, uh, things that are outward. And again, it's just a facade. It's just the trick themselves into believing that they're that they have worth. The thing is is they actually do have worth. So I have clients with narcissism and they believe that they're worthless, but I'm from the outside saying you have you absolutely do have worth. It's just not with you don't have to prop up this false self to get worth. You actually are a lovable, likable person deep down on in the inside. We just have to, you know, focus on that. Um now it should be pointed out that when when people with narcissism have their narcissistic supply challenged, they can actually be they can become quite angry, and the reason for that is because th- they feel quite hurt. So, if you get in the way, if something gets in the way, or if you get in the way of them feeling like they're superior to other people, or that they're better, or you know whatnot, then that actually causes them to panic, and when they panic, or uh, they they turn inward, and and they might feel quite hurt, and then they start attacking other people. Anyway, I hope I explained that well enough. Number four is the DSM talks about uh, people with narcissism requiring a lot of admiration uh, because if the admiration runs out, again, they have to focus on themselves and they, they're, they're terrified of that, of that situation. Number five, people with narcissism have unreasonable expectations of special treatment from other people. You know, I think I explained that already. Number six is they might take advantage of other people. So they might actually, uh, you know, control other people or use other people, not because they're evil. This is an important point is, is that on the internet, a lot of times narcissism is described as sort of an evil thing. Like, oh, that person's narcissistic, you know, they just use everyone around them. They're so full of themselves. And, you know, and this, this conceptualization from the out, it can look that way for sure, but that's not really what's happening. What's happening is that, Again, because the person was neglected and mistreated growing up, they actually don't believe that they will get love and attention from other people automatically. So they feel like they and, – and because everyone wants love and attention, everyone wants to feel attachment security, the only way they feel like they can get it is if they take it from other people, if they control other people and, and this kind of thing. And so um, I hope that, that makes it clear. Number seven, in the DSM, it says that people with narcissism, that they lack empathy. People with narcissism lack empathy. This is actually not true. Um, uh, Plenty of other specialists will say this as well. It's not that they lack empathy. It's that they have an impaired empathy. They have empathy, but it's impaired. Now, there are some extreme cases like Charles Manson, who was narcissistic, uh, he absolutely did not have empathy for other people. But I would argue that a better conceptualization of Charles Manson is that he was 
psychopathic and narcissistic, or he was a psychopathic version of narcissism, or he was um, a narcissistic version of, of psychopathy or something. It's just, there's a lot of debate and it's just opinion. It's not like it's science, but so again, people with narcissism do have empathy, but because they're in a constant state of pain, it's hard for them to pay attention to other people's empathy. They're so distracted with their constant need to prop up this perfect superior self in the, in their eyes, they believe that's the only way they're going to get love and attention. So they're really focusing on that, and they need everyone else to focus on that. And that's so consuming that they actually don't have the time to pay attention to other people, but they actually do care. And when they are given that chance, they actually can have empathy, tremendous empathy for other people. My clients, whom, whom I've treated with narcissism, I, I have found them to be some of the most caring people on the planet. Number eight is people with narcissism are envious of other people. This, this makes sense, right? You, you, you need to constantly uphold this narcissistic uh, self. And if other people are better or you know, doing better or more successful, then this challenges this person's ability to be superior. And they, you know, they want that. You know, if, if only I had that, that kind of thing. Um, number nine, the last criteria in DSM is people with narcissism are are often arrogant, described as arrogant. This is the last point I want to bring up regarding arrogance is that people with people with narcissism when they're being mistreated growing up, they learn that in order to cope with the fact that they're not getting the love and attention that they need, they end up tricking themselves into believing that that they don't need anybody. You'll often hear narcissistic people say this. They'll see like, "Well, I don't really need people. I'm fine on my own." And that's because they convinced themselves when they were very young that that was true, even though it's not true. But they convinced themselves that that was true because they needed to, because they weren't getting the love and attention that they needed. And this can come across as very arrogant to other people, very aloof. Okay, so I hope that helps to flesh out the understanding of narcissistic personality. Understanding the foundation of, of narcissism, I think, really helps to understand the the sort of observed uh, manifestations of narcissism. I hope that's true. If you have questions, you can email me at contact at psychologyinseattle.com. If you want more information on narcissism, uh, my podcast, Psychology in Seattle, we have many episodes on, narci- on narcissism, including an 11-hour deep dive, an 11-hour episode of the podcast in which I dedicated 11 hours and months, if not years of my life, preparing for those 11 hours, talking about all the ins and outs of narcissistic personality. But in order to get access to that, you have to be a patron of the podcast by going to patreon.com. So become a patron and you'll get access to that, to those 11 hours. All right. Thanks for watching this video, and please take care of yourself because you deserve it. You really, really do.